we're going to continue in our series uh, looking at the, the kings in the Old Testament. So let's go ahead and pray and ask that God would be here with us. Father, we thank you so much for uh, just for what you do in our lives, for your activity in our lives, for the evidence of, of your faithfulness in our lives. And, and Father, as we look at this passage in, in 2 Chronicles 20, I pray that you would help us to capture and to glean from this passage uh, wisdom and, and reflection of who you are, who we are, and, and how we, we can walk with you. So come and, and speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be t- looking at a king, King Jehoshaphat, in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, that's great. If you don't have a Bible and you want to look at one, uh, we have Bibles up here on the stage in the back of the, uh, uh, on the counter in front of the, the sound equipment. Uh, or you can take out your cell phones. We do have the, the verses up on the screen as well. The, I, I love this passage. I love what we can learn from Jehoshaphat and from Judah, where he uh, serves as king. So what I want us to see, and, and if I was to give it a title to this talk, I would call it the fingerprints of God. Because what we see in this passage is the evidence the, the residue, what it looks like when, when, when God has been active in our lives. And if, if you've been a child, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, you, you recognize, I know, I know what rooms my grandchildren were in just by fingerprints, by jelly marks, by peanut butter, by, by dirt and grime from the outside. They leave evidence of their presence. They leave their, the fingerprints so I knew where they were and what, they, what they've been up to. And, and God leaves his fingerprints in our lives because for every person, not just those who've made a decision to follow, follow Christ, but for every human being, God is active. God is, is at work in our lives. And one of the, the important things as Christians is for us to be able to begin to recognize the evidence of, of his activity, that we would be able to recognize what he's doing and cooperate with what he's doing. And clearly in this passage, we see that, that dance, if you will, that takes place between Jehoshaphat and between God, this, 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 the way in which they, they interact and cooperate with, with the purposes that God, that God has, both Jehoshaphat and the inhabitants of Judah, where, where Jehoshaphat was king. And the, the reality is this, the activity of God, what God is trying to produce in our lives, really can be summed up with three words. We talked about this uh, about a month or so ago when we did the gospel of wholeness. And we said that the, the, the purposes of God can be summed up by God's desire to bring about three things. Number one, that God wants to bring intimacy in our walk with him. That he wants us to, to not just know about him and know information about him that's important but that he wants there to be relational intimacy. He wants us to, to grow in our ability to connect with him, to discern and to recognize his voice and his gentle whispers and nudges in our lives. There needs to be intimacy because when there's a relational connection that is increasing over time, the intimacy results in, second, independency on him. That we, we come into connection and relationship and intimacy with God. And intimacy ought to and naturally will re- result in a dependency upon God. Leaning on Him. As we understand His faithfulness. As we understand His intentions. His kind intentions. His goodness. The most natural thing is to want to lean on Him. Depend on Him. Follow Him. One leads to the other. And then finally, once we have drawn near, once we have, have learned to depend on him and to follow him and to stay in step with him, then it, it just naturally follows that we will want to be obedient, that we'll know that his purposes and his ways are good and kind and right. 
So the, the fingerprints of God, the activity of God, and what we'll see this morning are are focused on those three things, to bring intimacy, to bring dependency, and to ultimately bring about a willingness and a desire to obey, to, to follow him. Now, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we, we have Jehoshaphat, who was king over Judah. You remember prior to this chapter, there was a, a civil war in Israel, and and, and Israel essentially just divided in two. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And it was Jehoshaphat who at this time was king in Judah. And what we see in Second Chronicles 20 is that Judah and Jehoshaphat as a king found themselves in, in a dire situation, found themselves in a situation that was overwhelming. Let's go ahead and, and jump into the passage, starting in verse 1, chapter, two, uh, chapter 20 of, of 2 Chronicles. It says, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Mennonites, and, and probably there are other ites there, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. And some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. And it's already in Hazen Tamar, that is in Gedi. Now at this point in, in Israel and Judah's history, they didn't have massive armies. It was a time of, of relative calm, relative peace. And what, what, what was occurring in this chapter is here Judah was, the southern kingdom, was at a time where they thought they were in a season of relative peace. And all of a sudden, the three nations that surrounded them all rose up and, and allied with one another to attack Israel, to overcome Israel. And clearly, it was more than, than, than Judah and Jehoshaphat would be able to stand against. And, and clearly, one of the things I want us to see today is that clearly finding ourselves in situations that seem overwhelming, finding ourselves in situations where we just, we're, we're not sure what, what, what we ought to do, finding ourselves caught between a rock and a hard place is, is a sure sign of God's activity. And, and we'll see as this chapter unfolds why that is, but suffice it to say, one of the reasons why it's a sure sign of God's activity when we find ourselves caught between the rock and the hard place is because in those situations, we learn to draw near to God. We're compelled to draw close to God we, we're, we're obviously in a position where we need to learn how to depend on him because oftentimes we, again, we, we're not sure what to do. And it gives God an opportunity to gather us close, to draw us close. And if you examine your life, I would suspect there's not a person here today who has not very recently or is not or will not experience these situations where you are overwhelmed by what's before you. For some people, it may be a, a physical situation, sickness. For others, it may be emotionally overwhelmed. For others, it may be relational difficulties with, with friends or at work or with, uh, with, with a family member. It may be financial situations that, that cause you to be to be overwhelmed or challenged or fearful. The reality is that for every one of us, this is common to all humanity. And it's not the absence, hear me, it's not the absence of God in your life that you find yourself in those situations. It's the evidence of God in your life in this manner. It's not that God causes those things to happen, but God inevitably will use those situations that you and I find ourselves in that overwhelm us, that challenge us, that are difficult in order to bring about intimacy and dependency upon him. That's, that's his M.O. And beyond the natural course of, of life here in this fallen world, 
Michael talked about this verse, in, I think it was in 2 Peter 5 a few weeks ago. The reality is that there's an enemy called Satan who the Bible says is prowling around like a, like a lion looking for who he can devour, looking for who he can crush. And it, it doesn't really matter to, to the enemy what he uses because the enemy's ultimate goal, ultimate desire, what Satan wants more than anything is to simply get our attention to bring our focus away from God and onto anything other than Him. Onto anything other than God. And it doesn't matter to the enemy whether we fall into self-pity or pride. It's all the same to him as long as our focus isn't on God. It doesn't matter whether we we get caught up in, in bitterness or busyness as long as our focus is off of God and onto things of this world. It doesn't matter whether we, we succumb to fear or ambition. The enemy is looking to distract us, to get our attention off of God, and it's at those times that God is looking to, ke- to get our attention on him. So the nature of the attacks that we experience here on earth are are many, but there's one biblical solution, and that's what we're going to see in this chapter. We see Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, being told that he's surrounded by these three armies, these overwhelming armies, a situation that is beyond his ability to deal with. And as we continue, let's go ahead and and continue to read and look at Jehoshaphat's response in verse 3. It says, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. What we see in Jehoshaphat's response which is, a, is a, a challenge to me, a lesson for all of us. What we see in Jehoshaphat's response is, is a deliberate expression of faith. Deliberate in the sense that it didn't necessarily come natural. It wasn't his knee-jerk response, but it was deliberate. It was, it was thoughtful. It was a choice that he made finding himself in this situation that seemed out of control. And again, every one of us find ourselves regularly, at least I hope you do, or else I feel very lonely right now. But we always are finding ourselves jumping from one situation that can seem overwhelming or beyond our ability to control, be it relational or material or or, uh, emotional, spiritual. We find ourselves in those kinds of situations. And in those situations, we need to realize that in our natural self, that, that faith, shifting our focus to God, is not natural for the fallen. As fallen people, our natural response, if you're like me, is to, to take a step back and figure things out. What can I do to fix this situation? What can I do to escape the situation? What can I do to get around it, to avoid it, to retreat from it? But our our response most often in our natural self is to take control ourselves or at least try to find some way where we have the illusion of control so we can fix what's going on. But what God is doing as he's active in our lives, as we see this this evidence of his work in our lives, what God is doing is he's wanting to bring us to a place where our faith can be built up, a place where we can bring our focus off of those circumstances, off of the situation, whether it's internal or external. God is wanting to use those situations so that our so that we can get refocused, where we take our eyes off what is happening, where we can take our our eyes off the the overwhelming challenge before us 
be it three countries attacking or a difficult relationship at work, where we can take our eyes off of the circumstances and refocus on Christ. It goes on in verse 5. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new court and said this, Lord God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it, and they have built in it a sanctuary in, in your name, saying, and, and then well, what, what, uh, what Jehoshaphat does now is he quotes the, 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 the dedication prayer that Solomon said in Second Chronicles 6 when they dedicated the temple. He's sort of saying, God, don't forget what we said when we dedicated that, 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 that temple to you. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple, before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and you'll save us. So Jehoshaphat begins to, I think, remind himself of what is true, that, that God led him into this land, that God brought them to a, a place where, they, uh, where, where he, he provided them a, a, a context for relationship with him. He's not only reminding himself, he's reminding the other people, and in a certain sense, he's trying to remind God. Now, let me bring this to your attention, God. You got me here. We said we're going to turn to you, and we're turning to you because we are in a situation that is, is overwhelming. It goes on then in verse 10 and says, but now here we are. You, know, we, you told us that we shouldn't, that, you know, that, that, uh, that we should, this is the land that you're giving us. But now here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory, incidentally, God, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. You know, when God brought Israel into, this, into the promised land, they, Israel was inclined to, to conquer the surrounding uh, territories to keep themselves safe, but God said, no, I'll give you the land, but leave leave those other countries alone. Jehoshaphat's saying, listen, you told us not to invade them, and now look what's happening. You know, now look at the situation we're in. He goes on to say, he says in verse 11, and see how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of uh, the possession that incidentally you gave us as our inheritance. Oh God, will you not judge him? For we have no power, listen to this, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And then if you're inclined to underline in your Bible or to highlight in your iPhone, this is a good verse to underline. Josephat says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Would that all of us would have the, the, that phrase, those phrases, just pour off of our lips easily and regularly when we find ourselves in those overwhelming situations. God, I once again, I don't know what to do about this relational breakdown with my friend, with my child, with my parent, with my boss. I don't know what to do about this financial situation. Lord, I, I don't know what to do about this, this habit, this addiction. I don't know what to do about the pattern of depression in my life. Lord, I don't know what to do about this external challenge that I'm facing financially. But my eyes are on you. I'm going to, I'm going to pry my eyes off the circumstances and shift my eyes on the one who can work 
behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, in any way you want. I shift my eyes from the circumstances to you. And then in verse 13, it says, All the men of Judah, with their wives and their children and little ones, stood before the Lord. And I think if, if we were in heaven and we were able to listen in on, on God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the angels, we'd hear, we'd hear the Father say, success. Because this is what he's wanting. If the Father's goal in our lives is to bring us to a place of intimacy and dependency, obedience, then these situations that God didn't initiate or orchestrate, but certainly is sovereign over the attack against Judah. God sees how it's driven Jehoshaphat and Judah to come before him, man, woman, and child, and recognize, number one, that they're powerless, and then to bring their attention to him. That's exactly what, what God is looking for, and that's what God is looking for in us. He's looking to bring us in and through the circumstances of our lives, the difficulties of living in a fallen world with fallen friends and fallen families and, and, and fallen systems, bring us to places where we can draw near to him and learn how to be dependent on him and live that kind of, of deliberate Christianity. Now in Second Chronicles 20, verse 14, it goes on to say, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah and son of a bunch of other guys. In verse 15 it says, And he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who lived in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Now, now who's Jehaziel? You know, Jehaziel was just, uh, as near as we can determine from other passages and, and extra biblical evidence, Jehaziel was just a, a, a young musician in the temple. And, but God chose to speak to Judah through this, this probably he was a teenager. God desired to draw near to his people who had turned their attention towards him in their difficult situation and begin to nudge them, begin to respond to their, their, their concerns. And Jehaziel then, then prophesied this. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle isn't yours, but God's. Another good passage to underline if you're so inclined. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the vast army. Because the battle is not yours, it's God's. And when we find ourselves in those situations that overwhelm us, and we will, whether they are internal or external, when we find ourselves in situations that the only response seems to be either fear or anxiety or anger, where we are overwhelmed, what we need to recognize and listen for is that presence of God, the Spirit of God letting us know once again, because this is an eternal truth, that the battle in this world is not ours, but it's His. If we're followers of God, if we're acknowledging that He is our King, that this is His kingdom, He's the King, we're the dumbs, we walk after him. That's what the reign of God does. We follow him. He's the one who is sovereign. And that we can come before him and acknowledge that we're overwhelmed and we can recognize that as the, as the king of kings and the lord of lords and the father of all that we can see that he 
is the one that takes responsibility for the situations. The battle is not ours, but it's God's. And see, that's the goal of our, of our faith, to let God be God, to walk with him, to stay in step with the Spirit, to stay in step with God, not to figure things out, not to try to find out how can we manage this situation, how can we escape the situation, but in the difficult times that you're experiencing, that I experience, the goal is, Lord, how do I walk with you in this situation? In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, he taught them to pray, lead me not into temptation. It also could be translated into trials. Lead me not into temptation or into trials, but deliver me literally through those situations. So Lord, don't just allow me to find myself in those overwhelming, confusing situations, but Lord, let me walk in step with you through so I can get beyond those situations. Jehaziel didn't say, listen to me, Jehoshaphat, and all of Judah, I got a great idea because it's not great ideas that deliver us from trials and temptations. It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came on Jehaziel. And the Spirit of God wants to walk us through those situations. And if it's the lack of peace, if we're overwhelmed, if we're under, under the, the, the pile of the circumstances in which we find ourselves, it's not some good idea we need in that moment. It's the peace that only comes as we draw near to the, to the Prince of Peace, to the, the provider and the giver of peace. And then he can, as we stay in step with him and not get ahead of God and not get behind God, he will guide our steps to know what to do. In the Old Testament, it always fascinated me that, that the scriptures say that God casts his light unto our feet. And I was thinking, well, Lord, why, why can't you just cast the light a little bit further down the road? Why can't you just let us know where we're headed and how this is going to resolve itself and, and what's going to happen tomorrow? But no, he just puts his, his light for where we put that next step, where we take the, put that next foot. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what this afternoon holds. But we know that God will guide us in the moment where to put that next step. Why? Because he doesn't want us to get ahead of him. He doesn't want us to figure it out. He doesn't want us to, to see where we're going to end up next week and say, okay, I'll take it from here. I, I got it, Lord. He wants us like a little child to, to stand close. Intimacy that results in dependency upon him. That's the normal life of a, a man or woman or a child of faith close dependency upon him, knowing that the normal circumstances of this life can overwhelm us and will overwhelm us. But the battle is not ours. It's his. I was talking to someone, this is a little while ago, a few months ago, and they said, oh, you know, we were talking about this topic. We were talking about how God will provide if we stay close to him, that, that God will give us what is necessary either to to shift the circumstances or give us grace to, to endure them. And the person said, well, Danny, that's easy for you to say because you've had, a, you've had an easy life of faith. And, well, not so. And I'm not just talking about the current situation with, with, Penny's, with Penny's cancer. I'm just saying, no, by God's grace, he's always been... <laughs> I hope he's not listening because he might continue. But I mean, he's... He's always brought me to a place where, where dependency, there wasn't a choice. Well, there was a choice, but, and sometimes I made the wrong ones. 
But I mean, when Penny and I married, think about it. You know, here this, this kid from New York who is a relatively brand new Christian who had come out of a, a, a secular, sort of an atheistic background was marrying this sweet little girl from Lubbock, Texas. You know, I mean, can you imagine the cultural adjustments that we had in those first years of marriage? It, it wasn't easy. It was really hard. And there were many, many times where I'm sure Penny and I know I thought, Lord, how does this work? I don't know how to, how to bring about New York and Lubbock, Texas and, and, and the different backgrounds and experiences. And how do we, how do we make this work? It was hard. The, the, first, the first 10 years of our marriage, we were dirt poor. I mean, we were you know, like government cheese we were, you know, it was, it was hard. It was difficult. And, and constantly we were being faced with how do we make this work? This seems overwhelming. This seems hard. We don't, we don't know what to do. As we began to have our children, you know, there's normal issues. You know, our, our son Christopher, when he had just graduated from high school, was just entering college, was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, uh, which is an uh, intestinal disease that has no cure, uh, they say, and, and it, he had a particularly aggressive form of Crohn's disease. They had to remove a, a major portion of his intestines to, because there was constant infections, constant difficulties. And then after the surgery, they, they decided they'll just give him bottles of of narcotics and, and uh, oxycotton, and, and he ended up getting addicted and was addicted for six or seven years, heavily, heavily addicted. It was hard. There were times at night that Penny and I would just look at each other during that season saying, Lord, we don't know what to do. If we knew what to do, we'd do it, but we don't know what to do. This is overwhelming to us. And, and slowly, sometimes too slowly, we would learn to shift our attention from the situation and the circumstances to Christ. It was hard. It was difficult. Our, our daughter Chelsea and he was married, and, and her husband, after she got pregnant with her, her, their second child, decided he wanted to leave her and see what's out there, and, and, and left her for a year. It was a hard time for her. And as parents, it was hard for us because we didn't know how to fix it. And we constantly found ourselves in situations where the, where the fingerprints of God were all over it, where we had to figure out, okay, are we going to just be, be captivated by the overwhelming nature of the circumstances that we couldn't fix, or are we going to eventually get our attention off the circumstances onto God. You know, JT, our youngest, looked at his older brother and sister in their situations at that time and thought, gosh, if this is life, he went through a crisis of faith. And I, and I remember we just sat there, Penny and I, at times looking at Chelsea's situation when her husband had left her and then he left her again and, uh, a couple of years ago and, and divorced her and married another woman. As we looked at sick situations in their lives, in, in Chelsea's life, in Christopher's life, with the addiction and with the disease and, and J, the crisis that J, JT was going through years back, looking at his older brother and sister's situations, it was hard. We didn't know what to do. But we kept on trying to get our eyes off the circumstances and off the situations. What we, what we recognize is over and over again, slowly at times, but we had to wrestle more often than not with ourselves, with our desire to figure out how to fix it. And trust a God who was, whose eyes weren't so dim, whose arms weren't so short that he couldn't touch the situations in this world. And we would make exchanges with God regularly. Lord, we give you this situation. We're, we're overwhelmed just like Jehoshaphat. We don't know what to do. We give it to you. And in the meantime, Lord, won't you give us grace or peace or lead us through this trial. 
that is, that is the evidence of God's grace in your life. Some of the circumstances that you are experiencing perhaps today, some of the situations in your life, though not initiated by God, are, are meant to bring you close to God and help you to learn and have practice to be dependent on God. God, Jesus did this with the disciples all the time. They had to go, there was one point where Jesus, remember he was preaching to 5,000 people on the, the side of this mountain and Jesus turned to them and, and said, listen, why don't you guys go feed these folks? They're, they're hungry, you feed them. And the disciples said, we, we don't have enough food. We, we found some kid who had a lunch, you know, five, lo uh, five loaves, a couple of fish. We don't have enough food to give him. He says, well, take that, the five loaves and two fish, and, and feed him. Can you imagine if you were one of the disciples? You know, having to, to you know, so, you know, break, you know, the people up in groups of 50 and, and walk up to one of the groups and give them like a, you know, the, the, the tail of a fish and say, here, <laughs> spread it among yourselves. You know, bon appetit. You know, it, it, this was not easy. This was hard. It was overwhelming. But as they stepped out, they saw how God was able to do what was impossible for them to see. We see it over and over again God giving what is necessary in situations beyond what we could fathom, beyond what we could, could ever imagine. And the apostles found, and most of you probably have found, and, and I'm finding that even when I am faithless, God is faithful. God is faithful. Goes on in verse 16, says, the, uh, the instructions through Jehaziel was, tomorrow, march down against them. Go and take, march against the enemies. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. And you will not have to fight in this battle, but take up your position and stand firm. Take up your position. You don't have to fight, but take up your position. What, what, what's our position in these battles of life? What's our position? Because the, the, it's important to know that the battle isn't ours, it's his. But we are not and cannot be passive in those situations. What it means to take up our position and, and, and to stand firm what it means is that we need, into, in those moments, we need to conform our will with his will. We need to go ahead, as did Jehoshaphat, and, and step out and, and face the enemy, recognizing that it's, it's, it's more than we can handle, but we take our position, conform our will with God's will, and expect then God to come and do what is necessary to sustain us, to become our source, to become our foundation, to become our peace, to give us what wisdom may be necessary in those moments. There's a story in, in Christian history about two martyrs who were, back in the early church, who were sentenced to death. They were to be burned at the stake if they wouldn't deny their faith. And the night before they were to be burned at the stake, as the story goes, they were in two separate cells and the one Christian heard his fellow Christian in the next cell just crying out in, in apparent pain. And he said, brother, what's wrong? And the other Christian said, well, I'm holding my hand over this candle in my cell, trying to somehow figure out how I can endure the pain tomorrow so I don't deny Christ. And, and the first Christian said, brother, tomorrow God will give you the grace necessary. Just sleep easy. 
And as the story goes, the next day, both Christian brothers were burned at the stake singing hymns to God. God will give the grace necessary at the time it is necessary, or he'll deliver us from the, the situation. But our responsibility, again, is to trust that a faithful God is going to be faithful, not ahead of time, but in the moments that we need his grace, as we conform our will with his. This is what Jesus did when he was in the garden the night he was betrayed, anticipating going to the cross. And he said, Father, if it's possible, let this, this bitter cup pass from me. I, I, I know what it's, the cross will be like. If it's possible, let it pass. But not my will, but your will be done. That's the position of faith. What we see in Mary, as Mary was told that this young teenage girl that, that you're with child. And she knew the, how, what that would mean in that culture. But her response to the angel who gave this message was, let it be done to me according to God's will. That, that's faith. When Peter and John came out of the temple and, and they saw the lame man, and they knew Jesus could heal people. They had, had not tried it. And the lame man was asking for, for money. And they said, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we do have, we'll give you. And then the, they take their stand. They, and they faced the, the fear and said, and I'm sure their, their voice was quivering, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And lo and behold, he got up and walked. Conforming their will with God's will, but the battle, the power was from God, not from themselves. So let's, let's go ahead and, and begin to finish up here. It says, take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord that he'll give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. They had no power, but God said that he'd be with them. And they were able then to see the deliverance of God on their behalf. God chooses the method. He'll, he'll choose the timing. It may be supernatural in intervention to remove the circumstances. It may just be giving grace in the midst of the circumstances. But in every trial that we face, in every temptation, in every addiction, in every overwhelming situation that we face, God declares that the battle is his. And he says to us that we are to stand firm that we are to activate our will and to conform our will with what his intentions are and then let him lead us through it. So how does this end? It says, early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they had uh, set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for his splendor and his holiness as they went out ahead of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. They saw the enemies on the other side of the great battlefield, and, and Jehoshaphat sends out their, their small little army being led by their worshipers with their knees shaking, I'm sure. Can you imagine the enemy ready for battle and, and seeing these, these guys out there singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had invaded Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up 
the, uh, uh, against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they had slaughtered the men of Seir, they destroyed each other. Israel just stood there and watched the enemies essentially fight against themselves and get destroyed. And all that was left is for, for Judah to, to collect the spoils of God's victory that he provided. Let's stand up. Here's how we're going to finish up today. You know, over the last month or so, we've been leading up to Easter. We've been doing some things a little bit different and special in our, our communion. And I want to do that today. Communion is a, a time, one of the things the scriptures say, is that communion should be a time of, of, of reflection, a time of, of, of examination. And, and I want us today to take a moment as we, we take communion to say, Lord, here are those things that upon reflection, upon examination, I know stand before me. I know overwhelm me. It, it may be a temptation and a habit that you're having a hard time breaking. It may be a, a situation that uh, financially or emotionally or relationally that is overwhelming. I, I want to give us a, uh, a, a few minutes now to go. We have five tables, two up front, two in the back corners and one in the back. I want you to go and receive communion but to do it in an active fashion, to actively go. And as you go and as you wait to take the cup and take the bread, I want you to be saying, Jesus, here's what I carry. I, I, my, my, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That was Jehoshaphat's words. That needs to be our words. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I shift him from these circumstances. And let it be a time where you give the circumstances that are overwhelming to the Lord, and then you receive from him. Because this kind of self-examination and honesty, it, it only should take place as we're at the foot of the cross, as we're in his presence. And then we receive what is needed. We receive grace. We receive perhaps wisdom. We receive the confidence that we have given once again to our Father what we can't carry ourselves. Make sense? So let's go ahead. We're going to go ahead and worship with one final song. Go ahead to the, 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 uh, the different uh, tables and make that exchange with the Father. Let's worship. You can go ahead now. Thousand times I failed, still your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, I'm caught in your grace. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all fate. My heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the
come by embrace to love you from the inside out. Bless you, Lord. Father, we acknowledge to you that, that we find ourselves over and over again, and even today, we find ourselves in, in situations where we do not know what to do. But Lord, we, we shift our eyes from those circumstances and place our eyes on you. Father, we, we, we are overwhelmed. There are areas we, where we're, where we're fail, failing, where, where we're stuck, where we're powerless. And we say, Father, won't you come? Won't you come? Father, we take our anxiety and we hand it to you. And we ask that you would come and lift us above the circumstances. Give us the grace to respond with your power, with your wisdom. And Lord, whether, whether you bring us a way of escaping these circumstances or just want to give us grace in the midst of them, Lord, we give you the control of our lives. Come, manifest your presence. Come, Father, carry us, lift us. Show us your faithfulness, even as our faith quivers and, and fails. We give you relationships today where we don't know what to do. Financial situations that seem overwhelming. We give you patterns and habits in our lives that we don't know how to escape. Come, begin a work from the inside out, changing us, delivering us from those addictions and those patterns. Come, Holy Spirit, bring a peace that goes beyond comprehension. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.